1: Hello and welcome back to the New Books and Indian Religions podcast, a podcast channel here on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Dr. Raj Balkaran. More importantly, I have the pleasure today of speaking with Dr. Munel Pandey, who is a Berlin based uh, researcher. Um, we'll be speaking about a fascinating new book that's published as part of uh, Rutledge's South Asian Religion series. Uh, it's called Popular Hinduism Stories and Mobile Performances. The subtitle is The Voice of uh, Murari Bapu. In multiple media, Rinal, welcome to the podcast.
0: Hello, Dr. Rajan. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It's going to be a great conversation in the next uh, few uh, moments. Yeah. So um, thank you for introducing this book, and uh, it means a lot. <laughs> and uh, well, uh, when you ask what is your book about. I guess um, I would like to introduce the book as saying that uh, the larger focus was to look at the transformations uh, of uh, popular Hinduism. And uh, I began by focusing upon this particular uh, religious come artistic practice of Ramkatha uh, for the novice that is the staged narratives of an epic, the Ramcharitmanas, specifically performed by Muradi Bapu. So Murari Bapu's Ramkatha was my case study to look at the transformations of uh, popular Hinduism. So uh, this is basically this, uh, the Ramkatha is a traditional storytelling format. And uh, I look at the particular performance, how it engages, uh, ways of participation, how it is produced and how it is consumed, which is Actually, uh, the performances of an oral text here and how it relates to experiences. So I consider the implications of a mediated oral practice, that is the katha, which is cultivated not only by the performer, but also by his listeners, you know, and it is staged, uh, could I say spatio-temporally, because it has been staged uh, across transnational spaces, and uh, it has been performed for the last uh, almost five decades. So uh, we look at how, uh, you know, it engages the embodied and sensory elements of uh, everyday living. And specifically uh, to pinpoint, I have elucidated on the agency of voice here as personified by Murari Bapu. We'll come to it as to why I stress so much upon the voice of uh, Murari Bapu in terms of articulating subjectivity. So the subjectivity is uh, not only a religious subjectivity, but in general about perspectives, feelings, beliefs, uh, desires, and power, importantly. So in short, to summarize, this book engages with voice as a vehicle of meaning to scrutinize its um, production, dissemination, and reproduction also across mobile contexts. So So
1: tell us a little bit about how you got interested in studying this phenomenon. And also, you could also intersperse this phenomenon, you know, this, 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 this fairly, um, I can say relatively new, but certainly um, prevalent phenomenon of, um, of, of, of uh, multimedia performance, you know, how did you get interested in studying this?
0: Oh, Okay, Um, I think these are two, three questions uh, together. But uh, to be frank, uh, this is a part of my doctoral thesis. So I hadn't charted uh, charted out any particular form or design uh, that, you know, uh, I'm going to envisage this uh, project in such a particular manner. And uh, of course, uh, you cannot rule out your subjective experiences So I have grown up with a very diverse uh, uh, religious uh, background, which had uh, atheists, agnostics uh, all around, and uh, even my own parents uh, followed different schools of uh, thought uh, in that matter. So uh, Ram was something which I was not exposed to uh, all my growing years. And um, later I traveled to North India uh, after marriage and I saw the Cult of Ram, if I may say, which is so popular in the northern region of India. And uh, well, that kind of uh, triggered some intrigue in me. And also that because he is such a, uh, you know, there's so much of politics with the ideology related to Ram as well. And uh, so it only led to some more uh, curiosity on my end. As well as uh, I was interested in performative arts. And then I happened to uh, hear about uh, Murari Bapu. And a trip to UK was something which uh, brought me even more uh, in contact with persons who were followers of Murari Bapu. And now this was something which was, uh, you know, uh, a coinciding element. And that set the trigger that, okay, I'm going to be looking at uh, Murari Bapu's Ram Katha. And then I took up a course with OCHS as well to understand how one should articulate because I had a background of history. And then I switched over to anthropology. I looked into performance studies, uh, Shastra, and uh, to understand the, even the language. Yeah, uh, When the followers of uh, Murari Bapu who call themselves as Shrota, the listeners and the satsangis, the ones who are uh, the direct translation would be companions of truth. So I would just right now here call them as followers, and um, the kind of language that they used, uh, Sathvik anna and uh, this Abhi, uh, Satvik Abhinay and um, several and rasa, yeah. Uh, so they were so much using this uh, performance-based uh, language that all of these elements actually aroused her, my interest. Uh, parallelly, and of course, all of it uh, was so uh, interestingly uh, woven together in this performance that it would be unfair for me not to look at all these aspects, you know, which came up in the course of uh, looking and participating in this uh, Ramkatha.
1: You made uh, you made mention in passing uh, that you had taken an OCHS course, and that's of course uh, the Oxford Centre for Hindu Studies. Yes, I yes. have to ask which one. I happen to to tutor there. I, I tutor a few courses there, and I recently created a course on the Devi Mahatma for the OCHS. Yes. But I'm I'm curious to know which course.
0: Understanding Hindu identity. I think oh, it was way back in 2010, 2009 or 10, it was almost more than it. The was OCHS
1: there. has been way ahead of the curve in terms of online education. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: uh, and then, you yeah, know, it, it's yeah, fascinating.
0: The thing, the thing is that I was interested uh, in Indian religion and more so on the philosophical aspect of religion, you see. Uh, but probably certain courses that I had uh, my academic training in were not uh, you know core to this aspect as well and so all of this really uh, made the way for my this particular uh, study and uh, i think yeah uh, the sensory part uh, the voice part all of this was uh, not something which was you know planned or thought before but it just happened in the course of my inquiry
1: well the the, the Ramakata the the story of Rama, the, the mm-hmm. iterations of the Ramayana. Yeah. Um Rich, rich, rich performative tradition. But even if you, I happen to have studied the, um, the Valmiki Ramayana from my master's thesis, but okay. even if you look to just um, the Sanskrit text, it's so crucial that how is it framed? Rama only recognizes his story by it being performed by his own sons who are barred. So even the actual um, framing of the world within the text, it 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 calls us to the performative life of the story of Rama.
0: Exactly. Uh, I guess uh, our epics, and I would say uh, not even Mahabharat, because we know that it was Vyasa who framed the Mahabharat, who wrote the Mahabharat. But here, Valmiki's rendition is just one telling of the Ram Katha, of the Ram story, if I may use the word, because again, Katha kind of puts it into a particular bracket. But uh, as uh, there are so many scholars uh, preceding our work, uh, who have mentioned that there have been more than three hundred Ramayanas, so this particular authoritative retelling of the text is something which actually places the text and its author producer uh, you know in a very powerful position and uh it's like uh, how do you say this particular text has been you know um, being retold and uh, reshaped according to time. And studying this particular retelling also gives us a picture of the uh, socio-political context of that, those times. So be it Valmiki or be it Tulsidas um, or be it Ramanan Sagar or now be it Morari Bapu. So they are all uh, different authors in different times telling us or shape-fitting the stories according to the times.
1: There's a fascinating tension between, you know, the timelessness of of, of the story of Rama, but also the very situated ways in which it's told by individuals and circumstances. So who is this Morari Bapu? Tell us more about him.
0: Yeah, I like the word situatedness because uh, I think you would agree with me here that all knowledge is produced from a position. And uh, that is something which is uh, fascinating about knowledge. At the same time, that is the reason why scholars and intellectuals are always at loggerheads also, because then there are rightist positions, there are leftist positions. And yeah, so coming back to the situatedness, so it's a particular positioning. So Murari Bapu's position uh, towards the Katha is also what is um, what makes him interesting. So when well, you asked me uh, about... Murari,
1: who, who, yeah. Who is just just contextualize for a broader audience? Who is this figure?
0: Yeah. So Murari Bapu is an Indian spiritual leader uh, and also a preacher from Gujarat, West India. Yeah. He's popularly known as the Kathakar uh, for his discourses on Ramkatha. He has uh, narrated the Gopi Geet and all, but precisely mainly for this Ramkatha. And he has, in this process, you know, he has gathered a sizable amount of followers, not only in India, but beyond. It is said about him that, uh, to give a background of him, it said that his grandfather taught him the Chopai or the quatrain, you know, uh, poetry that has a meter of four syllables. So he held his first discourse when he was about 14 years of age, you know, so, and since then there has been no going back. So that kind of explains his expertise that he's been performing these uh, Kathas since so early on. It's a part of his habitus. So he, I think uh, till this October 2022, he has performed over 900 kath- Ram Kathas already. Each of these are nine days based upon the reading of the Ram And they are typically accompanied with Bhajan and this Bhojan Prasad rituals. And uh, he gives these discourses mainly in Gujarati as well as in Hindi. Now, different places have been selected and appropriated as venues for this Ram Katha. So from traditional temples and streets, uh, these his performances have you know, been conducted in schools, playgrounds, auditoriums, air-conditioned halls. So you must be wondering, why she's telling me these details? But these details are even more important because he's performed in a jumbo jet, in submarines, on mountains, in violence-afflicted settings. So this mobility of Murari Bapu's Ram Kathai, you know, from these pilgrim centers and exhibition halls and cruise ships, this exhibits the uh, his followers and his patrons or sponsors, as you can call them. Uh, it exhibits their interests and their aspirations as well. Mind you, the performances have traveled to many cities of India uh, as well as uh, countries like uh, Australia, Brazil, Canada, Israel, Indonesia, Japan, Kenya, United States, United Kingdom, Rome, South Africa, Kenya, Uganda, you name it. And he's kind of performed in major cities. Um, yeah. So and it's when he's traveling and performing, not everybody, of course, can go afford uh, to go or be there. So uh, he addresses his Shrotas through the medium of Ram Katha and his diverse audiences include the live audiences as well as the technologically mediated audiences. And then it's not that he's just uh, reading the book. You know, he at times or rather uh, off late, he's been just picking up a particular verse or a particular character. So he recites the Ram effortlessly, then shares stories and anecdotes with his, with his listeners who address their questions or doubts to him no? so a stark example of cultural specificity you know to a performance staged amid authentic and historical modes of presentation the audiences are taken by awe and they are subject to experiencing altered emotional states so that's uh, the reason why his Ram Kathas are you know uh, still popular over the last five decades
1: so why do you emphasize his voice so much? What is it about the voice?
0: Yeah. Well, uh, I it's not a part of my I, I think
1: voice. it's I have to I have to make a meta comment that we're, we're asking this question in the medium of podcast where all they have is our voice. But anyhow. Exactly. Go on.
0: exactly. So, uh now that you uh, gave me a, another thread to begin with, See the thing is that one needs to understand uh, sometimes the historicity of a particular performance. Uh, the thing is that his uh, he began around the 1980s to be uh, precise, 1975 or 76. He had already performed in Nairobi, so you can see that his name had been uh, spreading already his fame rather. And um, during those times, what people had access to was uh, audio cassettes. Yeah, so. It so happened, like, uh, I'm just telling telling you a story which was told to me that uh, a group of uh, families would invite him to their uh, tiny flats or houses in from Gujarat to Bombay or somewhere uh, in Ahmedabad, uh, which is the capital city of Gujarat. And uh, he would be performing there and people would be recording his voice on the cassette. Okay. Of course, the message is important, but the message is trapped in the voice, mind you. Yeah and then these cassettes were uh, passed over amongst the family uh, networks and ties yeah social networks and then these social networks extended beyond india and when people outside india heard his voice and you know they are already nostalgic uh, you know that the story of uh, ramayana as uh, Bhikkhu parekh and uh, chetan Bhatt, both of them have said that this is a classic text of Exile and displacement that Indians really identify with, uh, you know, the suffering. Of course, uh, there is no comparison to the first, the old diaspora, you know, the indentured uh, uh, part of our history. So they really had this suffering. But this generation, the new diaspora also had the longing to come back in the 1980s and 90s, a longing not for permanent coming back, but just to meet their loved ones, you know, and especially the housewives who were uh, alone in the homes of US and UK. And then his voice was something which really caught on like a fire. Uh, and uh, they circulated these cassettes and everybody went on asking, who is this person? Who is this person? Many of them had heard his voice, had several cassettes of him and had no idea the, of the name of the person. Or even they wouldn't have recognized him had they seen him across. So uh, so you see how now voice has been built over a period of time. And then, of course, there were other performers. There's no denying the fact that there have been other uh, Ramkatha performers in India, as well as those traveling outside India. But yet, Murari Bapu's voice was something which had already caught on the uh, psyche of so many of them. And especially... Because of this uh, cassette, and that's why I uh, say that it is this particular uh, voice of Murari Bapu, which uh, you know became a vehicle of meaning, and also uh, also it's a kind of an authority. See, uh, to uh, not... the thing is that Murari Bapu comes uh, not from a Brahmin uh, family, but still he has this authoritative uh, telling of the Ram Katha. And uh, if I use the word authoritative retelling, so who's given him this authority? Of course, his audiences who want to listen to him, who decide that he is really well-versed with the scriptures. Yeah. So that's how uh, his voice was something which came up recurrently. And then I uh, sewed it into my uh, data with regards to Hindu traditions and sound and, uh, you know, all of those things.
1: Mm. How is your book structured?
0: Okay. So yet again uh, yeah that's that's a very interesting question actually because uh, as usual the first part is the introduction where I uh, give a theoretical background of the concept that I'm going to be using and you know I began by looking as I mentioned previously that I love this whole uh, performance arts so I had uh, the idea of performance studies, and I looked at uh, the Ramkatha as a performance. So that was my uh, first part of uh, the book, and my performances took me uh, further to sound and voice. So then, sound happened to be one chapter. My his voice created, you know, a whole set of feelings, which people described in different forms what they experienced, uh, not only altered emotional states uh, triggered by his voice, but triggered by several other uh, sensory elements such as uh, foods, smells, touch. Yeah, so then sensory uh, chapter uh, happened. And uh, then of course, um, you know, when you are trained <laughs> uh, in academia, there is nothing that is not political so i had to look uh, i i did ask people of course they said oh no you're attending a spiritual uh, performance but there is nothing that is not political so of course uh, i had to look at the particular uh, political part and i t- titled that particular aspect as the construction of a hindu voice and when i finally sat to write the book i realized that oh uh, you know something that all of these things have something of the place element into it and i would say that places as a chapter just happened when i started writing the book and that is one of the best parts of this book which has been written in the process of the book without any uh, plans to it so yeah that's how uh, impromptu it has been
1: so then what sorts of interests or subfields does this book pertain to? Who might most be interested in this book in terms of fields of study or 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 or, or interests?
0: Okay, I would say that um, firstly, people who are already plugged into these spiritual discourses in India could do fine with this reading, and you see, see, uh, see he has a local as well as global following, you know. So from ordinary village folk to middle classes to industrialists in India, outside India as well. So it all of these people could read this book because it's written in uh, as simple language as possible. Uh, secondly, also to scholars of South Asia, because I think that uh, I have tried to cover uh, much of our uh, religious discourses and of course, when uh, lecturers and students at universities, you know, uh, pinpointedly universities like the academic uh, academia can definitely uh, use a few chapters if one is looking at uh, the spatial uh, dynamics of a re- of religion or the sensory part or the sound because there's there was or rather I think there is still some. Limited material when it comes to sound in Hinduism. There, there are immense work. Uh, certainly, performance.
1: Ones. Certainly, yeah. performance theory. Performance in religion.
0: But but graduate students probably would find it easier to you know go through this uh, book for sure, uh, rather than delving into very heavy theoretical stuff because this is like what I saw and I have written down that time. So yeah.
1: Excellent. Well. Was there anything else about the book you wanted to touch on today? Uh,
0: hmm.
1: Seems we've probably covered most of the food groups. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, about the book. Um, yeah, what makes him even more popular is I would say that, um, you know, the thing is that he has, uh, he has a very innovative way of uh, looking at things. And he is also accommodative in terms of the changes in the society. And for that, he has been criticized, taken to task. Uh, But the interesting part is that uh, since he's, he has a story which has multiple variants with no clear ending, you know, he, uh, you know, you you are an efficient designer. And then you can sew the, mati- the fabric just the way it is for that particular moment, you know. So he can sew it up so contextually with his interpretation.
1: Ah, yeah. but so, that's the power of the bard. That's exactly, the dharma of the bard. Exactly. That's the missing Puranika, <laughs> the storyteller who has to adapt it to the moment. He
0: He, he effortlessly alternates between historical facts mythological stories and an embodied imaginary, you know, making him a literal subject as well as a powerful narrator. So exactly what Valmiki, uh, or, you know, also does the the author appears in the story as well as is writing the story. So that's what exactly he is. And I don't think that, uh, this caliber can be achieved so easily, uh, by somebody, uh, you know, even if a person could be formally trained in performance studies, I would say that would be a very difficult task.
1: Oh, it's, he set it's, up a... it's Certainly, there's a there's a there's yeah. a skill there's there's yes. an ability there that's been polished, yeah.
0: And the evo- evocation of audience responses is infinitely nuanced. You know, it becomes a means towards a larger social, religious, political ends. So every time they are revisiting the text, yeah, the text is Ramcharitmanas. Yeah, so one would say, okay, if the text is unique, it hasn't to be repeated. But these performances are re- continuously being uh, repeated. Yeah, but yet not. Uh, there's never, the ongoing, yeah, are, never the there's same. Ongoing. Yeah, there's an ongoing repetition, but never the same. So that is what is something which is uh, really, really um, enchanting. If they it's say enchanting. Yes, yes, that is it's,
1: the exact. It's way. the life of tradition. It's the life of the text. Yes. so many times i say to folks uh puranas and even the epics they're like sheet music they need to be brought to life yes. in a certain context
0: i, I like that better for you
1: well thank you very much for appearing on the podcast today
0: uh, thank you so much dr raj thank you for calling me and uh, i enjoyed it as well thank you
1: For those of you listening, we've been talking about a brand new book in the Rutledge South Asian Religion Series called Popular Hinduism Stories and Mobile Performances. Um, Until next time, uh, stay well, um, keep listening uh, and keep contemplating uh, the power of performance. Take care.